Well, good morning. Welcome to Bridgewater. Uh, that is Aaron. He's our Vestal Campus pastor, and as you can tell, he's very good at skateboarding. Um, the uh, falling off part probably was not scripted, would be my guess. Um, <clears throat> this morning, I'm a little bit uh, thrown off. Not only did I lose an hour of sleep, not only was it dark as I was driving here, not only did we get yet another snowstorm, but did you guys notice that Luke was wearing a collared shirt this morning? I don't know if I've ever seen that guy in anything other than a t-shirt. Like, it just messed with my whole morning. Um, but anyway, we're, we're glad that you're here, glad that you've joined us. Uh, my name's David, I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, today we're wrapping up a, our series in James called Be Real, and in this series we've been talking about uh, some of the realities of life and how the Word of God would speak to those. We think it's better to live in reality than in the highly edited world of social media or pretending like we have it all together. James deals with some really real things and and we think that they're really, really helpful. We want to be real with ourselves. We want to be real with others and we want to make sure that we're real with God. If you were with us in week two, we uh, talked about the process of temptation and how it can lead us astray. And in that process, we talked about desires and really how the enemy at times will use our desires to lead us astray. And in our passage for today, James is going to return to the concept of desires, but he's going to take a different angle on it. Instead of laying out the process of temptation, what he's going to do is he's going to give us three dangerous places that our desires can lead us if we are not careful. If we're not careful, some places they can lead us. Sometimes our desires will lead us to places that we just do not want to be. And I want to tell you a story of a time that my desires led me somewhere that I did not want to be at all. You see, when I was a kid, I really loved maple syrup. And there, was, there was something about that sticky sweetness that I was just absolutely obsessed with. Um, and so one time, what I decided I was going to do is I was going to break into the cupboard. I was going to grab that bottle of maple syrup. I was going to sit on the ground, and I was going to drink it like a maniac. Um, and so I did that. Um, we actually have some pictures, not of the actual incident, but apparently this happened multiple times. We couldn't find the actual time where I was covered in syrup, but apparently I broke into the cupboard often and tried to steal some syrup. Um, there's another one where you can actually see the bottle. If you find yourself wondering what on earth I'm wearing, I am too. I am too. I, I have no idea. Uh, the 90s were an interesting time, um, but we, somehow we made it through together. But anyway, back to my story. Um, I grabbed that bottle of syrup, and I sat on the floor, and I just drank it, and I am covered in the stuff. It is all over the floor. And so what happens is my mom walks in. She sees me covered in syrup, and I realize that I'm in trouble. And so I have a plan. I'm going to run away so I don't get in trouble, right? Here's the problem with that plan. There's syrup all over the floor, and so I get up and I try to run away and I slip in the syrup and I fall and I hurt myself. And so here I am on the floor crying, covered in syrup and in pain, all because of my desire. My desire did not lead me where I hoped that it would. It didn't lead to the joy and satisfaction that I thought it would. Instead, it led to a giant mess. Our desires can do that at times, right? Our desires can lead us to a mess that we didn't think it would, and that we do not want to be in. I think each of us approaches the concept of desires differently, probably largely based on the, the narrative that we were given grown up, growing up. Maybe some of us were told that desires uh, aren't important. They should be ignored. They should be suppressed. That doing the right thing is most important. So your desires, you can kind of just ignore those and push those to the side. 
Others of us may have grown up with kind of an opposite message, being told to put our wants and our desires and our, what we want most uh, first in our heart because we, we got to pay attention to what our heart is telling us. And probably many of us grew up with maybe somewhere in between those two extremes. I think we all have some sort of narrative that we carry to the concept of desires. But what I want to do today is look at the word of God and how it tells us to handle our desires. Because desires really can be harmless, but they can also lead us to places that we just don't want to be. And so we're going to look at our desires and talk about how we can handle them in a way that doesn't lead us astray. It'll be in James chapter 4, starting in verse one, I'd inter- encourage you to turn in your Bible there if you have one. If you don't have a Bible, we'd, we'd love to give you one back at the Welcome Center. But let's dive into our text to see the three dangerous places our desires can lead us. James chapter 4, starting in verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So first, James tells us that my desire can cause conflict with others. He asks the question, what what causes fights and quarrels among you? And then he answers that they come from the desires that battle within you. In our relationships with other people, how we handle what we want, how we handle our desires can determine if we fight with them or instead get along. Our desires can lead to all kinds of conflict. You've ever been around children, you probably know that desires can lead to conflict, right? You've probably seen that time and time again. I've got uh, 10 nieces and nephews, and a few weeks ago, we had a combined birthday party for the two of them, and we got some pictures of them up here uh, enjoying their birthday cake. They both were turning two. Um, And anytime you get uh, a bunch of children and some presents in the same room, what happens? Fighting, right? Conflict, right? All kinds of conflict. And there was the normal amount of conflict that you would expect from having uh, a bunch of children and presents in the same room and them fighting over which one that they want, even though it wasn't their birthday and all those things. A couple, I think maybe one or two of them were like, is it my birthday yet? So I can have presents, you know, the normal, that kind of stuff. But what surprised us that day was the toy that got fought over the most. Um, what, the toy that got fought over the most was this uh, little dinosaur head on a stick that had a little lever on the end of the stick. And every time you uh, pulled the lever, it would open its mouth and it would do this roaring noise. You can kind of see it there. It's kind of small. Um, but that was the thing that everybody had to have that day. Every single child was fighting to get that toy. There were some other toys that, if you ask me, were way cooler and that I would have wanted to play with. But for whatever reason, this dinosaur head was the thing that everybody had to have. The rest of the day, we had to manage whose turn it was and how long they'd had it and all, you know, the whole nine yards of what happens with kids because their desire to have that toy led to all kinds of conflict. It was the source of all kinds of fighting that day. But here's what I think often happens to us when there's conflict in our lives. We want to say the source of that conflict is anything other than us and our desires, right? We want to blame the other person. We want to blame the situation we're in, the government, our boss, the economy, how unreasonable we think our spouse is, our kids, the situation that we're in, you know, whatever it might be, you name it, we've probably found a way to blame it for the conflict in our lives. But James is saying, no, 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 no. That conflict, it comes from your own desires that battle within you. But there's, there's something else here. Not only can our desires cause conflict 
with others, but I think they can actually cause conflict even within myself. I can become conflicted over which desire I actually want and which, one's, which one I should choose and which one is more important and whether or not I even want that thing. I can become conflicted within myself. So not only do people do me wrong because of their desires, but I can even do myself wrong because of my own desires that are battling within me. And so if I want to be a person of, of real faith, I've got to acknowledge that the greatest threat to my, my spiritual walk is not necessarily what's going on out there, but my own desires that battle within me. You and I are always desiring. Our desires really affect everything that we do. From the moment we wake up until we go to bed, they're informing our actions, our decisions, our thoughts, our behaviors. They make us work with discipline to get one thing while running as hard as we can from something else. They shape every relationship in our lives. They're the lens through which we look at every single situation. And one of the tricky things about desires is sometimes we're not even aware we have them, until they're not met. All of a sudden, we're disappointed. Desires can come from anywhere, at any time, for any reason, or sometimes for no discernible reason at all. And that little phrase, the desires that battle within you, James has given us a picture into how our heart operates. Author Paul Tripp says that the heart of every person is a fountain of competing desires. We hardly ever do anything from one simple motive. Most of the time, there's some kind of battle that's going on within us. For example, just about every night at dinner, I have some competing desires as I finish what's on my plate. As I finish what's on my plate, I really want to go and get more because I like food and food tastes good and I like food and that's about it. And then in probably a little bit, I'm going to want to go and get some ice cream because who doesn't like ice cream, right? Like, why wouldn't I want to have some ice cream? But at the same time, I also don't want to gain weight. At the same time, I also want to stay in shape. At the same time, I also don't want to have to do some extra workouts the next morning to burn off those extra calories, right? And so even there, I've got that competing desires within myself, and the one that wins is the one that's going to shape my behavior that evening. I'll let you guess which one usually wins. Our desires can lead to conflict within ourselves, and it can lead to conflict with others. But James says there's more that our desires can lead to. Secondly, he says that my, di- my desires can cause me to sin. Let's look at the uh, first part of verse two. You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. So secondly, James says that our desires can lead us to kill and quarreling and fighting. Now you might be reading this verse and thinking, I haven't murdered anybody to get what I want, so I'm probably doing okay. Maybe James can just kind of cool down for a minute here. But I think we do allow our desires to kill all sorts of good things in our life. We allow our desires to kill our peace. Every time we allow our desire for control or our desire for safety to lead us to anxiety and worry and fear, we're allowing our desires to kill our peace. We allow it to kill our relationships every time we give in to fighting and complaining and selfishness. We allow it to kill our joy every time we give in to comparison or to envy. We allow it to kill the unity of our family or our workplace or our church when we allow our desires to become more important than anybody else's. When we give in to self-promotion and climbing the corporate ladder or uh, trying to make our comfort or our preferences the most important, we're killing unity. Our desire can kill all kinds of good things in our life if we aren't careful. And I want to point out here that it's not wrong to desire something. 
That's not what James is talking about here. We talked about that in chapter one a few weeks ago, that you can't really escape your desires, even if you wanted to. They're a reality of our life. And while we can desire evil and wicked things, that's not exclusively what James is talking about here. What we we have to realize is that desires don't have to be wrong to be destructive. They don't have to be sinful to lead me to destructive things. Even a good desire can lead me to bad places. A desire for something that is good can all of a sudden become this ultimate thing in my life that I am willing to do anything to get it, including sin. I think there's really two ways that our desires can cause us to sin. And and the first is when we sin in order to fulfill a desire. This is when we we take something that we want. Maybe it's a good thing. Maybe it's a bad thing. But in order to get that, we're willing to hurt other people. We're willing to say something that's hurtful, to mistreat someone, to exploit someone. In some way, we're willing to harm other people to get what we want. This is my nieces and nephews fighting to get that toy, right? Now, is it wrong for them to want it? No. But when they're willing to hurt others to get it, it's when it's become sin. This is where I'm willing to go to extreme measures to get what I want. Anyone or anything that stands in the way becomes an enemy and it's got to be eliminated. I think secondly, though, we can sin when we can't fulfill our desire. This is when we pout or throw a temper tantrum when we don't get what we want. We look to get even, take what's ours, get angry, irritable, turn to some unhealthy vice that we are hoping will fill the void of that unfulfilled desire. You can be assured that there was plenty of of pouting that day when they didn't get the toy that they wanted. And while we can easily see it in children, I think sometimes we have a harder time seeing how how we as adults can do the exact same thing. We can get angry and blow up on someone who got in our way. We can complain about something at work and then start bad-mouthing our boss, bad-mouthing our workplace. We can manipulate other people when they don't give us what we want. I think all of us can respond poorly when our desires aren't fulfilled. For me, I feel like I generally do most of those, those negative and destructive things all in my head. Like I know not to say it out loud, but I'll start uh, saying that narrative in my head when I don't get what I want. I'll start talking about how the other person was wrong and I am right and start building arguments for how I am right or how I deserve what they got or, you know, whatever it might be. And this can go on and on in my head and it can lead to some really dark places if I leave it unchecked. Before I know it, I can start to resent people that I love. I can start to distance myself from people that I really look up to, that I really appreciate in my life. But because I didn't get what they got or whatever it might be, all of a sudden, I'm start putting this distance between us. All of this because I didn't get what I wanted and I allowed my desires to cause me to sin. Paul Tripp in his book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, he outlines really six stages of of how this happens in our life. And I kind of want to walk through them really quickly so we can see how this might show up in our lives. The first is that I desire something. The problem with desire is that it quickly turns into a demand. I need it. This is the closing of your fist over that desire. And then demand quickly turns into a need where we feel it is absolutely essential for our lives that we've got to have it, but it doesn't stop there. Need inevitably produces expectation. You should give me what I want. If you say that you love me and I think that I need this thing, it makes sense that you would give it to me or help me get it. But it it keeps going. I have named my desires as needs. And when you fail to meet my expectation, this naturally leads to disappointment. You didn't show up for me and now I'm not 
happy. And then finally, you didn't get me what I needed or stood in the way, and so now I'm going to punish you because you didn't do this thing for me. Now I'm going to be angry with you. I'm going to respond to you sinfully. I'm going to do something in order to get back at you. It's a dark, dark process. And if we're not careful, it can ruin our relationships and our lives. I've seen this process destroy marriages, split apart families, separate parents from their children, destroy close friendships. It can lead to some really dark places really fast. Before we know it, our desires have hijacked our life and we found ourselves in a place that we never wanted to be. I think I've seen also a similar process in our relationship to God. God doesn't come through how we hoped that he would, how we thought that he would. And so all of a sudden we start to doubt him, start to question him. And that's where James goes next in the middle of verse two. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And so finally, James tells us that my desires can cause me to doubt God says you aren't asked, they aren't asking God. And why aren't they asking God? It's why wouldn't they go to him with what they want? The reason generally that we don't go to God with something that we want is that we've come to doubt him, right? I mean, you don't go to help for, uh, to someone when you've start to, started to doubt them. Like if your friend betrays your trust and shares information that you ask them not to, the next time you have some sort of sensitive information, you're not going to them, right? Because you've, you've come to doubt their character, Sometimes what happens in our desires is we begin to doubt God, maybe that he doesn't care about what we want. Maybe he's not powerful enough to give us what we want. Maybe he's just too busy. Or maybe we know that our desire is wrong and we don't want to go to him with the wrong desire. We think he might get like mad at us or something. And so we don't go to him. Regardless of the reason, we're not going to him in prayer. James goes on to say that sometimes we actually do go to God, but we do it with the wrong motives. Instead of going to him as God, we go to him more as like a a vending machine. Our prayers aren't really prayers. They're more of demands that we expect something from God. We just want him to deliver to us what we want. And we don't even stop to ask what is best for us or what his will for our life might actually be. But you see, God isn't some cosmic vending machine. He's Lord of all the universe and he's our good heavenly father who knows what's best for us. And sometimes the things that we want, they're not best for us. In fact, sometimes the things that we want are quite terrible for us. And like a good and a loving father, sometimes he withholds those things because he knows what is best. He knows what is better for us and what's going to lead us into happiness and to joy and into life. And so we ought to go to God with our requests, but with an understanding that he knows what is best and he's going to do what is best. Sad truth about desires is they can cause us to deny what we no, because of what we feel in a moment. If God doesn't give me what I want, it's easy for me to start to doubt him. I think there's, there's four primary ways that I, I doubt God when I'm in this situation. I think I've seen other people struggle with this too. I don't ask God because I, I doubt that he's good. I doubt that I can trust him. I doubt that he loves me or I doubt that he's in control. And when I doubt God in any of these four ways, I am believing lies from the enemy. I'm letting my desires lead me to a place that that I never thought I would 
be. I'm believing lies. And so there are four truths that I need to come back to when I have started to doubt God. These are really four anchors that I must hold on to in the middle of the storms of life. When God doesn't show up the way that I thought that he would, these, there are four anchors that I can come back to every single time. God is good. God is loving. God is faithful. And God is in control. No matter what happens in my life, these are four anchors. These are four foundational truths that I can always come back to. And I want to read you just a couple passages, they won't be on the screen, that speak to these four truths out of the thousands that there are. Psalm 118, 29, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. 1 John 4, 9, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. 1 Corinthians 1, 9, God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Job 42, 2, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. These anchors are really a guide for my thinking that help me make sense of what's going on in my world. Maybe I don't know what God is doing. Maybe I have no clue what he's up to. In fact, maybe I'm angry at him because he did not give me what I want. But every single time, I can still come back to these truths. God is good. God is loving. God is faithful. And he's in control. And he knows what he is doing. He hasn't lost control. He's not off taking a nap. I can trust and hold on to these four anchors no matter what happens in life. I think of these four, the two probably that I struggle with the most is believing that God is good and that God loves me. I think often in my thinking, I don't even bother to ask him for my desires, the things that I want, because I doubt his goodness to provide for me the things that I want. This was most clearly illustrated to me when I got married. You see, I was well aware of the fact that I did not deserve a girl like Joanna. All of you who know Joanna and know me are like, yeah, buddy, we knew that already. But I was well aware of that fact. And when God started bringing her into my life, I realized that I had been assuming for years that I would never experience that. I assumed I would, I would never get married or maybe I'd marry somebody who was just kind of like fine, not somebody who would be everything that I want and everything that I need. Like I knew God would take care of my needs. I understand scripture talks about that, but to provide a girl who I love to spend time with, a girl who makes me better, all those things. I didn't think I deserved that. And so I doubted God's goodness in giving that to me. Joanna has been one of God's lessons in my life to show me that he is a good father and he does what is good. So no matter what may come in life, I can trust and I can lean on these truths. They are the anchors in the storm of life. No matter what I face, I can trust that these are true. And when what I feel causes me to doubt one of these. I need to come back to what I know. He is good. He's loving. He is faithful and he's in control. So it's clear that we are creatures of desire. And if we aren't careful, these desires can lead us to some unhealthy places. But the good news is that we're not left to our own as we try to handle these desires. We don't have to do this by ourselves. In fact, to handle our desires well, what we can do is just head in the opposite direction of each of those dangers. So instead of fighting with other people, I can ask for the help of other people as I try to handle my desires well. I can actually enlist their help 
as I try to be somebody who follows my desires in a good way. We believe here at Bridgewater that life is better connected. We think it really is better to do life with other people who know where we struggle, who know our desires and where they might actually lead us astray and who can step into our lives and say, hey, I think you might be heading down the wrong path. So instead of being, of pretending like we have it all together when we're at group or as we're talking with other people, we can be honest about our desires and where they might lead us astray. And, and here's what I've found often happens when someone is bold enough and brave enough in group to share that they're struggling with a desire that is leading them astray. The rest of the room takes a big sigh of relief because all of a sudden they realize this is a place where we can be, that's safe and I can be real. And I'm not the only one who's struggling. I'm not the only one who's struggling, maybe with that specific desire or just with something in general. So we can ask for the help of others. We don't have to do it on our own. God gave us each other for a reason. Well, secondly, instead of letting our desires lead us to sin, we can submit our desires to God. Instead of letting them lead us astray, we can go to God with our desires, whether they're good or bad, and ask that he help us with them. If they're a good desire, we can say, God, can you fulfill this in your will? And if it's a, uh, an evil desire, we say, God, please remove this from my life. I know that it's not best for me. Would you help me? You see, God's the only one who can actually help us with our desires, no matter what they are. If they're good, he can actually uh, fulfill those things. If they're, if they're evil, he's the only one who can actually help us change from the inside out. One of the things I pray often that I I stole from Brett Bixby is that I, I asked that God would help me to love what he loves and to hate what he hates. The more that I do that, the more that I love what God loves, the more that I hate what God hates, the less I'm going to turn to sin, which never really provided for me what it promised, right? It never led me to where I wanted to be. Helps me get my heart in tune with God and prayer is an excellent way to do that. In fact, next week, we're going to start a series called In Tune. And in that series, we're going to talk about how we can get our, our heart and our desires in tune with God's. And we're going to talk about what it looks like to come to God and lay down our desires and pick up his desires, which are really going to be better for us anyway. So I hope you can join us next week for that. Well, finally, instead of doubting God, we can run to him for help. We can remind ourselves of what is true and keep holding on to those anchors. We can go back to what we know is true. God is good. He loves us. He's faithful. He's in control. Instead of relying on what we feel in a moment, we can go back to those anchors. When it feels like God does not care about what we want or he isn't powerful enough to give it to us or he's not coming through on what he said, we need to go back to those anchors. God is good. God is loving. God is faithful. He's in control. He's not lost control. He knows exactly where you're at and what you're going through. We do not have to be a slave to our desires. We can follow God into a life that is free of fighting and sin and doubt. And maybe not perfectly free, but free of the power that they sometimes hold over us. See, when Jesus rose from the dead, he conquered sin and death. And when he did that, he actually gave power to any that would follow him over sin. It doesn't have to hold us anymore. It doesn't have power over us anymore. And while we can't outrun our desires, we also can't outrun God's love for us. Our desires might lead us astray, but right in the middle of that, there is a God of love who is pursuing us. 
He's not waiting for us to come back to him. He's not waiting for us to clean up our act. He's not waiting for us to be a better person. He already loves us and he is already pursuing us. So no matter where your desires have led you this morning, no matter the mess you might be in, today you can start on a new path with Jesus. If you'll come to him and and hand your sin to him, he would love to, to lead you into a path of freedom, into a path that you don't have to, to be held by the power of sin, by the power of fighting, by the, the power of doubting God. Those things don't have to have power over you anymore. You can actually find freedom and forgiveness in Jesus. And we'd love to have a conversation with you about that. If, if you're struggling, if you're wrestling, I encourage you to find me or Pastor Matt or maybe a small group leader or a friend and say, hey, I I'm struggling with this. Would you help me find the right path? We can't outrun our desires. We also can't outrun God's love for us. He is there for us. He is with us. And he loves us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word gives us warnings. Your word is very clear And it shows us where our desires can lead us if we let them go unchecked and unchallenged. Thank you that it gives us example after example of of how that can happen in our lives. And Father, we, we come to you knowing that at some point, all of us have let our desires take us to places that we didn't really actually want to be. Father, we know that All of us have done that. And yet in the middle of that, you are a God of love who has pursued us in the middle of our desires and has actually shown us a better way, a way out, a way that leads to freedom and joy in life and really everything that we wanted in the first place. Father, we thank you so much for the sacrifice of Jesus because of what he has done for us, no matter what mess we might be in because of our desires, there is freedom and forgiveness to be found. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.